0: Whoa!
1: Big observance of what started back in the beginning of the Paschal season, in other words, with the resurrection of our Lord. And that last observance is today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's called the Sunday of All Saints. Now, in the Latin Rite, of course, many of you, if you're listening, if you're of the Latin Rite, you are familiar with that, which comes for you at the end of October. For the Byzantine Church, the Sunday of All Saints, or All Saints' Day, if you want to call it that, comes. After Pentecost, one week, the Sunday, after Pentecost. And how appropriate that is, because now that everything has happened, think about it. Think about the whole cycle, starting with Christ, the Incarnation, with the Annunciation. Christ is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary in March, through the Holy Spirit. Then he is born into this world. He grows up. He walks on this earth, does miracles, reveals himself, teaches, preaches, heals, Then he suffers, he dies, he rises, and raising himself, he raises us up with him, especially 40 days later, which is celebrated just a little while ago, at his ascension, where he takes human nature and actually mounts on the very throne of heaven, thus restoring our original dignity and destiny, in fact, even takes us beyond our destiny. How could we get any higher than to have human nature enthroned upon the very throne of God? This was God's response to our insolence. Imagine, talking about the love of God, the mercy, we came to that year of mercy that Pope Francis called us to. Imagine that kind of mercy, that he responds to the worst kind of insolence on our part by taking us to the highest level of our dignity and destiny and beyond. Then, as if that wasn't enough, he would make sure that we would be United with him, even on earth, even though he would no longer be with us in the same form, he would still be with us physically, but now the physicality would be taken on by the church. And he would make sure that the church and we who are baptized into the life of Christ, that we would have something that animates our soul, our mind, our heart, our bodies that help us to live this life of Christ, to live the very life of the Trinity, And that is the sending of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And we receive that Holy Spirit during our sacrament of chrismation or confirmation. In the Latin rite, that is usually delayed till about 13, 14 years old. In the Eastern churches, some of the Eastern churches, the confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation, which is the second sacrament of initiation into the church, the life of the Trinity, that is given at the same time as baptism, regardless of age. And that is where we receive that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We take what happened at baptism, that seed, that washing away, that rising to the new person that happens at baptism. In a sense, baptism opens us up to this relationship with God and to the life of the church. So now we're open to it, we're renewed, we're a new person. Now we have to be filled with that wisdom, with that energy, that power. And that comes from the second sacrament, chrismation or confirmation, where we actually receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us through the holy chrism. And the anointing with that Holy Chrism. We receive those gifts of the Holy Spirit, which then produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit in the letter of Paul to the Galatians in chapter 5. So, everything that is good about us, every time we know what to say, what not to say, how to be prudent, our knowledge of God, our fortitude, our strength of faith, all of that comes from the enlivening of the Holy Spirit in us, which we received at chrismation. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is not limited just to those who have had the sacrament of chrismation. God can do what he wants. The Holy Spirit can enter into anyone according to God's own will. But for the most part, the Holy Spirit is given to us in a very, very tactile, very real way through that sacrament of chrismation. So now we have all that we need to become fully human, to become that best version of ourselves. And there's a word for that we use in the church, and that's what we celebrate today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We celebrate all saints. A saint is basically a person who has achieved a certain full humanness, in a sense, a certain original or natural humanness. I think St. John Paul II has a very handy way of explaining this to us. He says in his Theology of the Body, he says that there were basically two historical times of the history of mankind. The original story, the original history, historical man itself, and eschatological man. We call it original man, historical man, eschatological man. An original man is all about Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, before sin, how they had that original innocence, that original unity. And Adam started out with that original solitude, meaning that he knew he alone was attached to and open to God more than any other creature. He still was in need of completion, and that came along with Eve. So we have original unity, our original destiny, which was to be holy, perfect, pure. That's what it means to be human. And when someone reaches that on earth to a large enough degree, they are called, after their death, a saint. Now, a lot of times we recognize them as a saint while they're walking this earth, but to be officially declared that, they have to be in the next life. And usually, especially in the Western church, there has to be signs that they are in the next life. In other words, miraculous occurrences through the prayers of intercession to a particular saint. And generally, three of these miraculous intercessions are required for a person to be officially named a saint. Sometimes it's fewer, sometimes it's two or one, but most time it's three. This is the way the church, especially in the West, decides that there is indeed the truth, the fact that this person is in heaven with God, that they are hearing our prayers, they are sanctified, they are able to act in response to our prayers by God's will and design. But a saint also reflects to us on earth, while they are on earth, our ultimate destiny. And that is seen in the post-resurrectional experiences of Christ, where he appears to his apostles, especially in the upper room, where he appears almost like, well, we don't know exactly how. He's like like a ghost. I mean, he, he goes through the doors, and he at the same time has his physical body. It was so real, so physical, that Thomas could put his hands in the very wounds, those same wounds, and that's how he believed. Yet Christ comes to the door as though he were some kind of spirit. They almost thought it was a ghost. So, so Christ in his post-resurrectional appearances is at times not recognizable. Eventually, he always is, because he's spiritualized. Is the same person, of course, same body, but somehow it is different. It's transfigured. It has powers that his own physical body on earth did not portray when he walked around here for 33 years. Well, that is a foreshadowing and actually a proof text for our destiny imagine that our destiny is as saints to become fully human so fully that we even acquire this supernatural destiny where our bodies are reunited with our souls and gloriously transfigured in heaven forever we take our place at the ongoing liturgy with the angels of heaven praising god and gazing upon the glory of god's face basking in his divine energies happy, transformed, transfigured forever. That's our destiny. The human person, remember, go back to the beginning, human person was made in the image and likeness of God. That's the only truth that you can say about the human person. And that's the starting point for the anthropology, the theological anthropology, not only of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, which is why I like it so much, but also of Eastern theology. For recent theology, the definition of a human person is not someone who is in the process of accumulating merit or, uh, in a sense, blessing or grace, but rather someone who was already made in that image and likeness, but is still an imperfect reflection of that. And so our life on earth is basically not so much accumulating something like rewards for being good, it's rather becoming who we really are who we already are in truth, sort of burning out, moving beyond what is not true to us as human persons. In other words, we don't lose our authentic nature essence as a human being because of sin. It has been tarnished, and we certainly lost a certain degree of the likeness to God. In other words, we don't act like God because of sin, at least not all the time. But we never lose the image that's imprinted in us forever. God does not undo our nature because we sinned. Our nature remains the same, and sanctity, the road to sainthood, is a process, a sense of becoming. That's what we mean by divinization or theosis, becoming who we really, really are. So when someone is saintly, they simply are fully human, or they've reached a certain point of full humanness. And that's the goal for all of us, the mystical, the saintly is the norm. We look at these people as extraordinary. Well, they are in comparison to the rest. But in reality, in the theological reality, in God's order of creation, a saint is simply a person who has reached normal humanness. The rest of us aren't there yet. That's right. (laughs) We're We're not normal humans yet, until we've reached sanctity. When we return, we're going to talk more about saints on this Sunday of all saints in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian Spirituality, You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
1: Pope John Paul II once said, Humanity, its dignity and its balance, at every moment and on every place on earth, will depend upon who he is for her and who she is for him. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why are we a man? Why are we a woman? Unless we know the why, we do not know the how to be man or a woman, and therefore, we do not know how to really be for each other. The why behind being a man or woman is told in the theology of our gendered bodies. Our bodies speak a language. Gender reveals God. Through gender, we can actually participate in the way that God loves us. We can love as God loves. Human sexuality is an icon of the very interior life of the Holy Trinity. To find out more about The Theology of the Body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We are at that last and final stage of what began at the beginning of the Paschal season, All Saints Day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Now, after this, we go into what the Latin might call ordinary time. For the Eastern churches, it's ordinary time, essentially, in practice as well. We actually call it by the number of weeks after Pentecost. So it's like the second week, the third week, the fourth week, and so on. There's about, well, maximum about 35, 36 weeks of Pentecost. It varies slightly according to how Lent and Easter fall. So we actually will enter an ordinary time, so to speak, which is never exactly ordinary. It's always punctuated with all kinds of other wonderful feast days and observances of the saints and events of the life of Christ. But basically the two big cycles, the incarnational part and then the Paschal part, are completed. And you know sometimes I look forward to that because as rich and as beautiful as it is, and this is again the wisdom of the church, her liturgical wisdom, so in step with the rhythm of life, of what is human. The context for everything can be found in the liturgy of the church. Liturgy is everything. And what the church does is it respects and provides for us a wonderful rhythm that we cannot stay where something is so incredible, so rich. We can't stay there forever, at least not in this life. We we can't take it. We're not capable of taking it. We, we rise to that, like a climax of a movie or a story. We come to that climactic moment, such as the Paschal season. But we come off of that eventually because we can only take so much of it and be authentic to it. So we, we enter back into a kind of an ordinary time, a kind of a more day-to-day, week-to-week And I love the richness of the liturgical cycle, especially the Paschal season. But at the same time, I I breathe a certain sigh of relief that we're kind of coming down that Mount Tabor. Remember, on Mount Tabor, when Jesus was there, transfigured before Peter, James, and John, they received that light of Tabor, that vision that we received during this Paschal season. And it knocked them off their feet. They couldn't take it. Moses could not take the beauty of the face of God. He had to be protected as he walked by God. God just showed him his shadow. So we have to come off of that to kind of catch our breath, but only to move into that cycle again. Also, the other part of the ingeniousness of the church's liturgical cycle, especially during the ordinary time, the days after Pentecost, are that it gives us a chance to actually incorporate, to apply what we experience in those very high, rich seasons, the seasons of Our Lord's incarnation, you know, Christmas and His baptism, and also, of course, especially the Paschal season and Pentecost. We have to apply that richness. In other words, we've been touched by those graces, by that mystery. Now we have to apply it, make it work for us in the day to day. We don't leave it on the shelf. We don't leave our experience of the reality of Christ's resurrection in our Easter baskets when we've finished the wonderful Easter foods. We don't leave it there. We apply it to the day to day that's the point of going through the liturgical cycle of the church so that we are enlivened and have the graces and the wisdom and the experience the energy to move through the day to day in a way that a saint would on the sunday of all saints we're saying that to be a saint is to be a normal human being that's really what we're striving for to be the image likeness of god that god intended for us originally but which we tarnished we lost i'm going to read to you some of the prayers of the liturgical cycle And this, again, as always, the prayers gives us a glimpse into not only how we pray, but what we believe, especially in the liturgy of the Eastern churches. In the Vespers for this Sunday of all saints, that would be Saturday night, we pray this. Truly the heroic martyrs have wrestled with beasts and were torn apart by their claws. They fell under the edge of the sword and were mutilated and tortured. They were thrown into fire and burned alive, dismembered and pierced with swords. All this they bore courageously seeing in advance what was to come, the unfading crowns and the glory of Christ. And now they intercede for our souls. So yes, suffering, especially martyrdom, physical martyrdom, was very much a part of the saints in the early times. But you know what? In our day and age, in modern times, there are actually more people who have died for the faith than even in the early times of the early Christians. Believe it or not. Yeah, we're being fed to the lions in many ways, symbolically. And Christians have been dying for Christ. In great numbers, even in this century. So they are saints. Here's some more verses from the Vespers of All Saints. Come, let us celebrate the memory of the saints and the joy of the Holy Spirit. For there their feast has arrived, filling us with divine gifts. With purified conscience, let us cry out with joy. Let us sing in their honor. Rejoice, O choir prophets, who announce the coming of Christ and who clearly see that which is far away. Rejoice, O apostles of the Lord, fishermen who gather the whole world in their nets. Rejoice, O company of martyrs gathered from all over the world in the same profession of faith. For this you suffer punishment and tortures before receiving the crown of victory. Rejoice, O multitude of the fathers. And it goes on and on. It goes through all the classifications of saints. In the Eastern churches, we're very big on the classifications of saints. There really is a hierarchy. And we'll always list them in terms of that hierarchy. The mother of God first and the apostles and the prophets all the way down to those who are considered to be confessors or venerable, those who suffer for the faith, but they may not be as high on the on the hierarchy as the others. But that's okay. They're in heaven. They're, they're happy. They're saints. And they had a great witness, and we pray to them and with them. In the liturgy, the saints are mentioned constantly. They're painted all over the walls of the church. We're surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, as St. Paul would say. So it's in our iconography it's in the mention of the liturgical text. It's in the piety of the church, its liturgical calendar, the feast days. There's a saint in the Byzantine calendar for every day of the year. In fact, there's oftentimes several saints. Actually, most of the time, there's several saints per day that are commemorated each day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Some of their feasts are more prominent than others, and so we have special services for them, special liturgical texts, and special customs. For example, coming up will be Next month will be the Feast of St. Elijah, who went up to heaven in a fiery chariot. So in our tradition, we bless vehicles because they are as fast as the wind, like like Elijah's chariot. This is what is said in the prayers for the blessing. We'll have the Feast of the Dormition, the Assumption of the Mother of God into heaven, body and soul, and we'll bring flowers and herbs to be blessed, to be taken home as fragrant reminders of the flowers that were found in the tomb of the Mother of God when the apostles went there looking for her body, but the saw that it had gone to heaven, only the fragrance of flowers remained. So we have a number of customs that are applied to some of the saints, as well as their particular icons and troparion. In the liturgy, we mention the classifications of saints a few times, first in the rite of preparation on a side table next to the altar, where the gifts are prepared. And also during the Eucharistic prayer, we go through different classifications of saints. We actually name them prophets and teachers and ascetics and so on. So saints are, they're a connection along with angels. They're a connection with the next life. They kind of span both worlds. So they're very important. They're very real to us. You know, it's still the custom. It should be the custom, although it's been forgotten recently, that when we have a new baby who is born, that that baby should be named after a saint. It should take on the name of a saint. And that includes the people in the Bible, too. It can have beautiful Old Testament names, you know, Isaac and Abraham and so on. If the first name is not of a saint, at least the middle name needs to be. That's why sometimes, especially in Latin Rite church, people are given a baptismal name. In the Eastern churches, they just use the name that you have, but it's expected you would have a middle name. So the middle name and or the first name has to be the name of a saint, and that includes those figures in the Bible. That's kind of been lost a bit today. So in this program, we're reminding everybody about that, especially if you're expecting a child. And the saints' names are beautiful. They have great meaning to them. And they become the little lifelong friend of your child as they grow up. Their patron saint. They pray to them. It's like their buddy. They celebrate them on their feast day. In fact, an interesting thing to do is to name your child after the saint on the day that the child was born. As I mentioned, every day has a saint. So if a child's born on a certain day, well, it could be very interesting to name that child after that saint you don't have to but that's one way to integrate your family with this communion of saints which are very much alive very much connected with us to this day and for eternity and finally you should be able to ask your child basically one fundamental question through all of their life and every question should be related to this one fundamental question how are you going to become a saint that is our goal and we can become a saint by being that best version of ourself, regardless of our career, our walk in life, whatever our destiny is. If we embrace that best version of ourself, we can become holy, become a saint, become a person who is most normally fully human. We're speaking about this community of saints and how we're all connected together through a striving for sanctity. So I want to acknowledge a letter from one of our listening community. Hopefully he's on the way to sanctity. <laughs> His name is Richard, and he is from Bay City, Michigan. Wrote us a very nice letter. said, thank you so much for the program and the creed. That was the Nicene Creed I did a few weeks ago. Those bits of commentary that you inserted were very helpful to me to clarify some things in general about the filioque controversy in particular. It is so distressing to me that the schism of the Orthodox Churches still persists. After so much time, I think a truly ecumenical council of churches should be considered to tell us all what this disunity in the body of Christ is all about. Really, the Creed and Lord's Prayer are recited too quickly, almost mechanically. I get distracted by the words themselves as I mentally pause to think of what I am saying. So many prayers on your work, Father, and thank you. And thank you, too, Richard, for your very kind letter we will certainly take it to heart. If anybody wants to write to us, you can do so by going to the email taberlife at earthlink.net taberlife at earthlink.net
0: Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. The Church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully.
1: We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening.